Hello and welcome to another episode of Triathlon Science presented by Tri Mechanics Coaching. Today's episode is number eight, maybe number nine. We're getting to the point where I'll just say welcome to another episode because I've forgotten how many we've done um, in this kind of reinvention of the podcast. I do hope at some point that I'm going to upload all the old episodes, particularly the episodes with people like the interview with Alex Hutchinson, which was really popular, um, talking about his book Endure and a few other bits and pieces because I think they're valuable to kind of listen back over. The one thing that I do like and part of the reason why I did get rid of a lot of the old episodes is because um, things change. If you listen to some of the old episodes of certain podcasts or the way, um, you know, kind of interviews with certain researchers, you'll actually think that they've been, they're contradicting what they've said in the past. And that's a perfectly normal thing to do in science. In fact, actually, it's a very useful um, tool to kind of monitor sometimes whether whether someone is what I kind of view as a good scientist or a bad scientist. There's a few scientists out there, um, and I, I'm, I, I'm concerned that their narrative doesn't seem to change. Um, it's actually something I'm going to mention a little bit today in, in the episode. Um, but the narrative doesn't change over a long period of time, particularly in light of new research. And I think that is always worrying, because I think that shows that there's a, a certain level of bias. Um, well, there is definitely a level of bias, but it's a level of bias that then is um, ignorant of... Uh, new potentially new evidence um, and it really does speak kind of of scientists that are they've taken an idea on or they've they've viewed something they've made an observation and they've sought to try and prove it which is almost the anti um, it's anti-science really trying to prove you're you're trying to disprove your you may make an observation and you then put all your effort into trying essentially proving you're wrong and it is the um, the inability to almost prove yourself wrong that then potentially leads to um, a growth in evidence that you were in fact correct. Anyway, um, so first thing first today, we are going to talk about the coffee that I'm drinking. So I do like this little bit adding in. I'm, I don't know whether I'll keep it, whether I've got actually enough time to discuss it. But today we are drinking a very special coffee that my mum bought me for Christmas. Yeah, my mum is a bit of a coffee aficionado at the same as me. Um, and she, ever since she got an AeroPress, she's been going to James Gourmet Coffee, which is a um, local roaster to where she is in ross on Um And today's episode is a bit different. It's a, uh, sorry, today's coffee. It's a, a Costa Rican, um, relatively high altitude. Now, Costa Rican coffees are quite light, delicate, a little bit acidic, often very good for filter. Um, viewed as not very good for espresso, which actually I, I disagree with. I think they can actually be very good. It's grown at a very high altitude of 1850, um, which is which is pretty high. I mean, you you can get higher. There are, um, you know, you're looking at some coffees that are going up to 2000 um, metres. But, you know, 1850 is pretty high. What that means, you end up with a very hard bean. The bean is, you know, almost... Um, rock solid very um very difficult to actually grind with a uniform grind which is often why it's used for espresso uh, sorry filter as opposed to espresso because actually it means that the the grind is very difficult to get consistent which is, means that it creates problems for espresso um or for having a, as an espresso base for let's say a small flat white which is what i'm drinking but it's partly because of the machines so most machines are obviously pump driven um by um and that they create a certain flow and pressure and that means that your extraction is over a certain period of time, whereas I've got a, a lever machine. So I've got one of these ones where basically you, it kind of fills the group head with hot water, you push the lever down, you create the pressure. And that also means that I can control how long I do it over. So I give the coffee a lot of time to 
allow, allow the hotter water, which is what you also get from this uh, machine, to infuse and actually extract. Actually got quite a nice extraction. It's for a nice um, little bit of acidity through the milk, which is, tastes absolutely spot on to me. So today's episode is the first, going to be the first really in a, a kind of moving away from what I said last time. We talked about habituation um, and adaptation. We're going to move into a little bit more of the threshold polarized again so this is a subject that's come up so many times on the podcast so many times I've discussed it part of the reason why I've discussed it over and over again is because each time I think it's because I keep coming across things which bother me about the argument because I think we're having the wrong or we are having the wrong argument the thing is there is a disconnect between what's being presented particularly to the amateur athletes and what goes on particularly in elite um, sports settings and a misunderstanding and the misunderstanding unfortunately then leads to athletes to train a certain way but it also means that certain coaches have adopted methodologies or at least pronounced or um, subscribed to certain methodologies almost in error and that means that when you know if you think about the amount of people that are actually coached now they might not be coaching that directly but when they say for instance that they are an advocate of polarized training People will listen to that. And the, the majority of people are going to listen to that as opposed to be coached by that coach. So it might be that, let's say, 1% of people that, that hear that advice are po- coached by that coach and may the actual coaching itself and the actual planning and all these things is not exactly that. But the people that are listening to it, that take that advice, that don't have access to that, they may interpret that as being right. Well, let's I'm going to go on a polarised route. So why is that not the argument? It's because it's not about um, whether you or it's not about how you train all the time in that you don't train the same way all the time. Professional athletes don't train the same way all the time. And that's where the kind of error comes in. Certain times of the year, they might be training polarized and certain times of the year, they're going to be working on threshold MLSS. So media maximal lactate steady state, which is important for your threshold efforts, which might be either a time trialing or your threshold effort up a climb. Because remember that for these pro tour riders, you know, basically a climb as, as kind of sky proved with Wiggins, a climb is essentially just repeat, you know, just repeated time trials over and over again. It's just literally your, you know, how hard can you go for the duration of that climb? And can you repeat that then the next day and the next day? So I like to start all these and I think about these in terms of analogies. And the reason I like analogies, I was thinking about this, is that they do two things. One thing they are good at is helping to simplify a concept. And the second thing, which I think is often missed in terms of why analogies is important, is it can help reduce bias. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. In that if you have a bias towards a certain thing and someone starts talking about it. So, for instance, I'm talking about threshold polarised. There's people out there that are going, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to that. It's, you know, same old rubbish again. I, I prefer polarised approach. I'm not going to listen to that. Well, if you talk in an analogy sense and remove that bias of what you might have, what you thought about before, it may help you think about it from a more objective standpoint as opposed to going in with that bias. So I'm going to talk about... Um, essentially polarised and kind of threshold training, using the analogy of um, a, a race. So you come across these two people having an argument about um, which is the best car. Now, let's call one Steve and one Andy. So people in the know might actually have tweaked who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to go into any more details. So you've got Steve and Andy, and they're arguing about which car is the best to get round this 
race. Now, this racetrack is not just a flat, straight road. It's got um, hills in it. It's got dirt sections. It's got um, all these other bits. It's got a bit of off-roading. It's got lots of different types of sections. Funny enough, actually, the, the way I thought about this was a, it's actually been a, a few newer races put on Zwift. Um, sorry, I got a chance to mention that in this episode. A few races put on Zwift, and um, a few of those races are actually, it was quite a big race that raced yesterday, had a long dirt section. And people were debating, because actually on the dirt sections on Zwift, if you swap to a mountain bike, it's a lot faster. So people were debating whether the loss of time that you have to do to in order to stop, change to a mountain bike for that dirt section, then change back to a road bike was actually worth it. But it actually made me think of this analogy. So we've got this, this racetrack and it's got all these different um, sections. And these two people, Steve and Andy, Steve says that he's choosing this car. This car is the best car for this. So, you know, it's like, well, maybe that's, you know, good for a certain type of track. And you've got Andy and he's saying, no, no, this is, this is the best car. Definitely this one's the best car. And you're watching this from the outside and you realise, or you're watching this objectively, and you realise that you don't have to pick one car at the start of this race. Every time you get to a new section, you could change your car. And actually, it's interesting. You know the new concept we've seen with these um, time trials in the Tour? A lot of them have a big hill in. And the, the, rate, the, right, the, the team suddenly realise that they can change bikes. Now, they've always been able to do that. There's been never any problem. And they've never done it before because no one ever thought... Well, why don't we just change bikes? You know, it takes a few seconds for a bike change. It'll save us massive amount of time because the, the road bikes weigh so much less and the, the riders are going to be sat up anyway. They don't need an aero bike. And it's, it was genius. And now it's accepted. Now it's accepted, actually, I think they might have to change the rules because it's getting, you know, it, it does change things. And But it was always able to be done. No one ever did it. And we're, so we're watching this argument between Andy and Steve and you're thinking they're having the wrong argument. Now, if you said to them, or if they said, no, no, you've got to pick one car to start off, you'd probably think, hmm, okay, I'm going to have the car. I'm worried. If I've got a Formula One car, it's not going to tolerate that off-road section. It's not even going to get through it. So I'm going to go for the car that can get through the hardest sections. Now, to go to the polarizer, take this back to polarizing threshold. I'm not going to say which one's which. You probably twigged who's who and who's on which side. But the point being is that you can change your car. You can change your training based on what you need. So you come to the dirt section. Well, let's change to a different car. Let's change the tyres. And that's what goes on in these pro tour teams. They don't subscribe to a polarised approach or a threshold approach. They retro-engineer their riders based on the job they need to do. It's not about necessarily. Some of it's physiology. So they work both ways. So you've got riders... And you're testing their physiology to, to understand how they are now. Then you've got the demands of the race. This is the sky approach. It wasn't about... The marginal gains thing was a bit of a, um, a misdirection, I think. A lot of it was misdirection for other teams. Because they, what I think they thought is that if they get other teams thinking about the tiny details, they may miss the big point. The big point was that a climb is a time trial, just uphill. So you've got to retro-engineer it. I retro-engineering, you've got your end, you know what you need at the end, you know what the, the you've got to have, you work your way back. So they work their way back every time. And that's why they, they became so dominant. They realised a, a long time ago that the way to um, win the tour 
was not to say, oh, we're going to you know have these light, super light climbers. Um, we're going to have some big um, kind of time trialists to do a bit of stuff in the time trial and the team time trial. And we're going to have some uh, the kind of rulers and people, domestiques, you know, some place in the middle. They realised that actually what you do is you take people from track and time trialing backgrounds. So people like Thomas um, and Wiggins and Froome to some extent as well. You've got that that power and you whittle them down. You you take a time trialist that's got the power and the output and the high MLSS, the high kind of maximal lactic steady state, and you gradually reduce their weight over a long period of time maintaining that. And suddenly you've ended up with an uphill time trialist. It's genius. The point being is, is they use different methods based on what they actually need to achieve. And then they look at the physiology and and basically see how they can bridge between the physiology and the end product. And that's what we all should be doing. It's all within our capabilities to understand that. Part of it, you know, and understanding it is how, part of it is understanding your own physiology, but then also retroengineering for what you want to achieve. If you want to achieve Ironman, it's very different from trying to achieve the winning um, or winning a sprint, as in triathlon. You have very different um, situations. But you look at this from you looked at that argument from the outside, and everyone hopefully will agree that they you realise they're having the wrong argument because there's no need to pick that. Now, if you had to pick one, what are you going to pick between threshold and polarised? Now, this is an important argument. I do sometimes make the point that if you're gonna if you're gonna pick if you're just gonna start decide right, I'm sticking to a methodology, I'm sticking to one type, I'm just gonna make it simple, which year I pick. I'm going to err on the side of picking polarised. Now, the reason I would pick that, the simple reason, is I think polarised, and this is the reason why I think there's a gravity, you know, people are gravitating towards it a little bit. And this is what the some of the people that proponents say about it is a little bit self-limiting in that when you're feeling a bit rubbish and you basically have worked a bit too hard, it's very difficult to actually push yourself really hard in the hard section. And actually... It's difficult, really, unless you have tons and tons of time to really almost overtrain yourself by doing the easy stuff. So it make it becomes easier. I go go very very easy, relatively easy, and go very very hard. Threshold and tempo and that stuff that takes a lot more nuance. And you have to control the load and you have to monitor things, so you have to pay a lot more attention to it. So I think sometimes it's the almost the polarized is kind of the easier option. You just say, "Oh, do some interval sessions and go really hard." And then the rest of the time, just go really, really easy. So that's the first introduction I want to do about this. I'm going to go into more detail in more podcasts. I think this really needs to be explored so that you can start deciding when you're going to do what and how you implement this in your own training, as opposed to just listening to other people and saying, I'm following this method. You want to do the method that is right for you at the time that's right for you. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.